Alright, boys and girls, this is episode 230 with Brett Jones, and it's about to begin. Brett Jones is one of those influential coaches that have been around forever. If you don't know who he is, I am super psyched for you to listen to this interview. He is everywhere when it comes to kettlebell training, corrective exercise, functional movements, green stuff. He's just honestly amazing. Let's just get into it. We go over his career, some deadlifting, squatting things, some hip anatomy stuff, and the backstory of how he met Gray Cook and collaborated with him. And uh, here we go. Enjoy. Hello, boys and girls. Welcome back to another episode of Cut the Shit, Get Fit. I'm your lovely host, Rafael Mashevsky, and joining me today is a legend, Brett Jones. Say hello. Uh, Rafael, it's great to be on. Uh, appreciate the opportunity to talk to you and your audience. Well, thank you so much. Um, so I always like to start the show with some easy lobbing questions. So the first easy one is what is the current book you're reading? So uh, I'm getting ready to start uh, Why We Sleep. Okay, nice. Why, why did so you pick I, that I, one? Uh, two people in the same day recommended it to me, and I was like, okay, that probably means it needs to jump to the, to the top of the list. Um, there's an author I like named James Rollins, and uh, he has a new book out, uh, and this is mental candy uh, yeah. sort of stuff. This is nothing uh, fitness-related, uh, just, a, just a good kind of mystery-slash-thriller uh, sort of book. And um, so uh, probably one of those, but also like in the queue is uh, think, How to Think Like an Emperor, the Marcus Aurelius and Stoic Philosophy. Nice. Um, and uh, there's a book called that I've been threatening to read for quite some time called The Spinning Magnet, which is about Earth's uh, electromagnetic field, how cool. it uh, kind of established our current world, and yeah. uh, change in it could be catastrophic. <laughs> awesome. There you go. So, do, so. You, do you prefer reading, or would you be able to, like, listen to a book on, like, Audible or something like that? I prefer reading. Yeah. Um, I find, uh, for me, uh, and I know people say, you know, they're able to, to focus or concentrate better on audiobook or, you know, they're, they're busy doing something else. My mind wanders. Like, I get into a, an audiobook and my brain goes left, <laughs> and uh, I've, I've got to wait. I, I just missed the last two minutes of the yeah. book, so now i got to go back and, and rewind. So, uh, audiobooks, if I'm driving, um, Podcast, audiobook, stuff like that can be good, just because it's. Um, uh, I, I'm I am going to be more focused on the road and the and the book. Yeah. Uh, but but if I'm sitting in the house or whatever, I yeah. prefer to have the book in front of me. No, same here. Like the only audiobook that works well for me is like my wife and I started listening to the Harry Potter books, and uh-huh. that's that's like the only thing that works. Like I I tried. I can't remember what book it was. It's something for like personal development, and I just couldn't like focus on it while driving. But like Harry Potter, for some reason, like I'm in it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's you know the the keep keep that audio book around for when uh, you're trying to go to sleep because apparently if you if you wake up and have trouble sleeping and you want to read a little bit, it has to be something that you're not interested in. Yeah, for sure. Um, or you'll wake up and and get get focused on it. So. Yeah. Um, so the next one is, what is your biggest pet peeve and why? Uh, what, uh, just in life or? Yeah, let's uh, go in, in life. Let's go in, how about so, both, actually? <laughs> so biggest pet peeve in life, um, I'm, I'm a pretty easygoing guy. Um, just kind of, I guess I would say um, people not uh, keeping their word would be uh, like, that's that's a big one. Yeah. Um, for the fitness industry, biggest pet peeve, um, I, I think social media as a just a general concept. Yeah. Um, and the uh, the the aspirational um, social media account, uh, which basically turns into shaming and uh, a yeah. bunch of uh, look at look at how great I am sort of stuff. 
Yeah, it's interesting how, like, social media has grown, and, like, I think for the most part, all the real coaches out there just cringe at, like, the 22- to 25-year-old young female that just puts on, like, a tagline, like, online trainer because she's good-looking in a bikini and holds on to a couple dumbbells, but, yeah, it's not not cool. (laughs) Well, and, and we'll, we'll throw our male counterparts uh, yeah. under that same bus with the uh, shirtless pics and the yeah. uh, the videos. And there was a few years ago, uh, Business Insider did an article on the top ten fitness influencers. I'm an air quotes guy, so yeah. if 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 you end up publishing the video, uh, people get to see me air quote everything. If if you're not uh, going to publish the video, then pe- everyone can now just imagine that I'm air quoting yeah. frequently. <laughs> so. The uh, this this Business Insider did an article on the top ten fitness influencers, uh, and as soon as they say influencers, you know they're talking social media, Instagram yeah. more more specifically. And uh, I had only heard of one of those individuals, and the uh, the other nine, um, it was all uh, shirtless pics, scantily yeah. clad, um, multiple million Instagram followers who whose fitness advice was probably questionable, uh, but. They got the followers. They got the likes. Yeah. It, it's tough. Like, we almost have to market to that population of people and use the words that we absolutely hate to actually give them good information. But it's so easy to, like, yeah, take a shirtless selfie and buy my ebook. <laughs> you know? Well, I, I, can, I can guarantee you, you won't be seeing any shirtless selfies uh, of me. Um, I, I barely want to uh, see myself in the mirror, much less subject <laughs> anyone else to that. So we'll, we'll, we'll know you turn to the dark side if we start seeing that. <laughs> um, Truly. Yeah. Uh, so the next easy question is, what do you got planned for the weekend, even though it's like five days away? <laughs> so um, this coming, what am I doing this coming weekend? I have no idea. Um, this weekend was, uh, was very busy on Saturday, just yard work and, and running around taking care of stuff. And then yesterday was uh, a good five hours of screen time between uh, Avengers Endgame and the uh, third episode of uh, the Game of Thrones final season. So wow. uh, Bam. next weekend, I have no idea. It's been, like, so tough watching, like, Facebook and, like, Instagram, everyone going to watch the new Avengers movie, and I still haven't seen it, and I'm like, please, no one out there, like, spoil anything, and I saw, like, a news article pop up that some guy left the theater and started spoiling the whole movie, and he just got beat up right off the bat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's definitely something people have taken seriously. The the, the uh, studio and the actors yes. have taken it seriously, and um, it's it's a solid movie. Um, I, I enjoyed Endgame and uh, really enjoying the last season of Game of Thrones. So There you go. Um, so before we keep going into this conversation, let's do a little intro of who you are, what you do, and how did you get into this industry in the first place? Sure. Uh, so I uh, have a Bachelor of Science in Sports Medicine, uh, High Point University in North Carolina. Um, I graduated <clears throat> a few years ago and, uh, and then got a Master's in uh, Rehabilitative Sciences, Clarion University in Pennsylvania, uh, which is actually drug and alcohol rehab. And uh, my first job out of uh, grad school was in a little town called Chatham, Virginia, uh, which just happens to be Gray Cook's hometown. And so he walked into my training room one day and wanted to know if I needed any help. And so I worked with Gray in his, in his uh, clinics and my, my uh, training room for a couple of years. And then I moved uh, back up to the Clarion, New Bethlehem, PA area. And at that time, that was my transition from athletic training um, to fitness as I started running a hospital fitness center in uh, Clarion, PA. And I did that for about five years. During that time, I got uh, certified at the second ever uh, kettlebell cert that Pavel taught. Uh, this is February of 2002. And, um, and then um, left that, started working in Pittsburgh at a private club, um, put a DVD Kettlebell Basics uh, for strength coaches, personal trainers with Michael Castro Giovanni. And um, Gray ended up getting that video and said that that can't be the fanny pack wearing uh, trainer from, uh, from from Chatham. And, and sure enough, it, it was. 
And so we got back in touch, and that led to me getting involved with uh, and teaching with um, FMS starting in 2006, Secrets of DVD series and, and things of that nature. So I was invited to teach with Pavel in April of 03. And so um, 16 years in of uh, traveling, teaching with Pavel, 20 plus years in of uh, training in, in some fashion or another, whether athletic training, personal training. Um, so that's the that's the synopsis of uh, how, how I got here. Awesome. So I'm going to try to unravel all of that. <laughs> um, so maybe like to start is like when you were in high school, were you like playing any sports that kind of led you into more of the fitness industry or did something else call you to kind of go that down that direction? So I uh, wrestled in junior high and high school, mm-hmm. uh, got injured a few times, uh, especially in high school. And uh, had some early experiences in having some physical therapy and things of that nature. And that actually led me towards athletic training and with the intent of going to physical therapy school, which I never did. So I uh, got into my undergraduate sports medicine program, uh, really enjoyed um, being a part of that program and, and uh, thought that that's what I wanted to do you know, for the rest of my life, be an athletic trainer. And, uh, and then um, after... A couple of years of 100-hour uh, weeks and uh, getting a little burnt out, uh, the opportunity came to uh, shift and, and run the hospital fitness center, and th- so that was my transition to the fitness industry. So I, I didn't go into um, uh, my undergrad or graduate uh, degrees or anything like that with the intent of, of being in the fitness industry. I was intent on being an athletic trainer and uh, and then just had an opportunity and made the jump and uh yeah running a hospital fitness center in a small town i i got everything i had uh parkinson's stroke neurological conditions um amputees orthopedic issues uh you name it uh it was it was coming in the door and i was uh working with these with these folks and it's um i I didn't know how you were in the fitness industry and didn't have an athletic training background because i was doing a lot of modification and leaning heavily on orthopedic evaluation rehabilitation skills uh, from from athletic training. In hindsight, I know that it was jumping in the deep end um, and not your typical uh, fitness experience. But uh, yeah, that's that's how that's how that happened. Okay. I'm also CSCS through, uh, uh, in addition to being ATC, I'm also CSCS through the uh, NSCA. Mm-hmm. So, like, is there any part of you that wishes you went to physical therapy school, or is that just something that you're like, ah, eh, it's not a big deal? Um, no, I, I don't. Um, the I hate paperwork, um, so I, I think I'm well positioned. Pardon me, at the moment to uh, to avoid that most of that. Nice. Um, so yeah, I don't uh, I don't uh, regret uh, not going to PT school. Oh, fair enough. So when you met Gray for the first time, like, was there something that you kind of realized that this guy knows his shit and I should somehow incorporate myself with him? Or was it kind of like a relationship that eventually grew into what we have now, the FMS and things like that? Um, I mean, you, you don't work with Gray for too long before he starts peppering you with questions and, you know, he has... Uh, what I would refer to as a very active mind. Uh, so he's always turning, turning something around and, and uh, bouncing things uh, off of people. I remember, you know, leaving uh, after a long day and uh, he turns around and yells at me, Jones, what's the, what's the real function of the MCL? And I'm like, I don't know. Stabilize the knee. Wrong. It's it's proprioceptive. It goes under stress and the adductors fire, and you know it's a um, a, a way deeper look uh, than I had. Having a very traditional athletic training background, um, I can you know, like fascia, for example. Uh, when I was in athletic training, uh, getting my undergraduate, uh, it was the honeycomb-like saran wrap that gave muscles their shape, and that was it. Like if you tore it, it was no big deal, and there was no emphasis on it whatsoever. And so, of course, that's our understanding of that structure has certainly progressed. But you know, in Gray was able to uh, challenge me, educate me, and was we certainly had a, a good friendship and a good working relationship. Um, and then I left, and then we get back together, and uh, we I helped prepare him for uh, RKC at that time workshop, and. Um, we get together to film. The, uh, the, the guy mics us up, 
and we he's like uh, just you know do do a couple minutes of your intro uh, so I can set my audio levels and Gray and I shut up about 20 minutes later and um, we turned to the camera guy and we're like you got that right and he's like no and we're like <laughs> new rule if we're talking you're recording like this is this is the way this is going to work so Gray and I have always had this very easy um, relationship and and uh, ability to work together it's been been really uh, I've been incredibly fortunate in my mentors uh, and in people that have given me opportunity. Wow. So what what do you think made Gray kind of open his eyes towards the kettlebell community? Like, what do you think attracted to him in the first place? So he had gotten um, uh, uh, Pavel's book, The Naked Warrior, which was about body weight strength training and, and the, the uh, one arm push up, one arm one leg push up in the in single leg squat or pistol, mm-hmm. uh, basically saying, hey, you should be able to do both of these equally on both sides, which gels very much with uh, Gray's concept of of movement symmetry and and things of that nature. Uh, so he had developed an interest in Pavel's materials uh, from there, and then the kettlebell as a tool, uh, and then and us uh, speaking and working with him to get him ready. Uh, for the cert and things like that, um, we just really developed a, a great um, appreciation for what this could be uh, within the get-up and bottoms-up drills and just from a strength perspective. Awesome. So another I mean, thing I'm kind of curious about is, like, how much influence did you have in kind of that FMS world? Like, what was your kind of role with Gray? So... Um, I was at the going back in history again. I was at the first ever FMS workshop, which was in wow. about '99, um, at the old clinic in Danville, and and uh, um, vast. The screen was the same, but a lot of a lot of other stuff was different. Uh, but so Kyle Kiesel, Gray Lee, um, and and a few other folks were that original group of developers uh, that set the FMS in in action. Uh, I was at the first workshop, and then, of course, fast forward to 2005, 2006, when Gray and I get back together. Um, my main input was towards the corrective exercise end of things, the uh, adding in the kettlebell and getting to load and, and things of that nature and um, um, working working with Gray on all of those uh, concepts. Okay, pretty cool. Um, so now with kind of like your background in both like the FMS, FMS like corrective strategies and like with your kettlebell background, if you had, you know, a brand new client kind of starting from square one with you, what's kind of like your system? Like what do you follow to make an individual better at fitness and health? So um, obviously starts with uh, you, you should have a standard operating procedure and intake procedure. So there's all your standard paperwork, and you know part of that paperwork is is medical history, injury history, lifestyle questionnaires, things of that nature, um, kind of setting a, a a baseline for where they are at the moment. Uh, then I screen them, um, run them through the screen, and uh, collect that information, see if there's anything that needs to be addressed, and then that usually just naturally that's how I do my initial programming, I know what to avoid, I know which patterns to go after, uh, both from a corrective and a, a conditioning standpoint. Uh, so that's really uh, how I address it. And then, you know, the the bigger picture is, um, you know, you can, uh, um, I, I, recent revelation of mine, which really shouldn't be a recent revelation, um, is four years ago I, I turned uh pretty sedentary in my work, uh, computer-based, working on the computer at home within Strong First FMS, and then travel and, and whatnot. But uh, I sit a lot, and uh, because these little things track you, um, and which I don't care about if, uh, if Big Brother's watching, they're bored. They're very, very bored. Um, but I take a shockingly low number of steps a day. And uh, I have an article coming out in Strong First uh, um, looking at the said principle from an organism and environment standpoint. So specific adaptation to imposed demands, the organism's specific adaptations to the environment's imposed demands. If you're sleeping four hours a night, you're basically sedentary, taking less than 5,000 steps a day, um, and your diet needs to improve or you're not hydrating, um, it kind of doesn't matter what program I put you on. 
So, you know, addressing both ends of that uh, spectrum is always uh, important. Uh, and more personally, uh, having fun, making the routine and, and the things that, that, that we want to accomplish uh, have a fun factor um, is usually pretty successful. Well, fair enough. And I think a lot of like coaches have been in the industry for a while. They kind of, you know, stop coaching people one on one on the floor all the time and walking all the time. And they kind of get to that point where they're like on their laptops 80 percent of the day. And like for me, for example, like I'm on my laptop all the time and I'm like, why does my like T-spine always feel tight? And I'm like, fuck, I, cause I sit all day just like looking at my laptop and like same thing with my phone posting on social media, blogging and everything like that. And like, you don't think like as a coach, you don't really think that, oh, that can happen to me that, you know, the clients that I see all the time, the accountants that I train that have tight hip flexors and a tight back, like that's ever going to happen to me. But here we are. <laughs> well, and it's, it's, um, the, just because you're exercising the 30 minutes a day for four times a week, whatever the number is, um, if, if you're not up and moving, getting more than 5,000 steps a day, you're technically sedentary. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember reading, and I, I haven't been able to find the reference, uh, have someone looking for it, but uh, from what I remember reading or somebody saying was if from an anthropological perspective, if you're not hunting and gathering for 8 to 10 hours a day, you're sedentary. Uh, I mean, we're we're a few hundred thousand years into uh, this the the development of this meat suitcase that we get to drive around the universe, and um, a significant portion of that was us moving around for survival. And we have this little window where we become uh, sedentary, less physical creatures, uh, and we still need that. No, oh, fair enough, and like. Like, I'm a huge believer in um, Dr. Andrew Spina's work of, like, the FRC and kin stretch. And just doing, like, daily movement can improve so many things. And the company I work for is also associated with a lot of, like, office workers and nurses and things like that that either sit all day or stand all day. And I remember doing, like, a presentation on, like, proper movement. And I was just getting them moving, like, every single joint. And in that room of, like, 40 people that were super grumpy and did not want to be there, after, like, three minutes of moving their hips and shoulders, like, the energy completely changed. Everyone's laughing. And I, like, told everyone to, like, stop. Like, do you guys feel this? Just because of, like, three minutes of exercise, you feel and move better already. And you're laughing. Yeah, honestly. Um, Yeah. The other question I wanted to get into is, like, you know, in Strong First, like, what made you guys want to get into, like, a barbell certification? That's what one thing I always kind of wondered. So um, being the school of strength, the barbell is one of the tools for building strength. Uh, the kettlebell, you will eventually reach a point where the kettlebell is not the optimal tool to continue progressing in, like, a 1RM perspective of strength. And so as, as the school of strength, I, I think we make a pretty good argument now for having uh, really four branches of the school of strength, uh, the kettlebell, the barbell, body weight, and via plan strong, strong endurance, and some of the other things we have uh, coming up. Programming has become uh, one of our, our specialties and, and things that we do very well. And so um, embracing the idea of being a more well-rounded school uh, with this mission to pursue, promote, and practice strength because we believe strength has a greater purpose, uh, we wanted to embrace kind of all of those tools. That's awesome. Um, So the other thing, too, is like if someone wanted to learn more about barbells and just like those three main lifts, like what's the difference between what Strong First teaches compared to like if they went to a local powerlifting gym or a powerlifting coach that's, you know, kind of high in their career? So the focus is uh, beyond um, the, the competitive aspect to using the tool um, as, a, as a more general uh, strength training tool. Uh, instead of really specializing in the three lifts, we add in uh, the Zercher squat, the um, good morning, the um, military press. Uh, so we, we have a, a more well-rounded um, curriculum, so to speak, of, of barbell lifts. And uh, so, uh, which can lead to the competitive aspect, 
but usually sets a, a good foundation for getting somebody started with the barbell and using the barbell as a general uh, strength training tool versus a competitive tool. Okay. So that being said, like, it'd be really cool to kind of chat about, like, hip anatomy, knee anatomy, and ankle anatomy when it comes to, like, things like squats and deadlifts because the gym that I train at, they primarily do all group training and I also work in the clinic they're doing active rehab and a lot of the members will come in and they're like oh my low back hurts and I'm like okay well are you deadlifting off the floor they're like yeah it hurts every time I do it and then I kind of have that conversation where I'm like your hips are completely different than the person on the left of you and the right of you let's find what works best for you and we kind of change up their stance we elevate it and then they're like holy crap it feels amazing and i'm like yeah let's let's train you as an individual not just whatever the person on the left of you is doing so i'm kind of curious like what your approach is when it comes to finding a stance that works for the squat and deadlift for somebody so, um, a this is if it's me, it's hopefully somebody that I've screened, yeah. And I I know their how their ankles move. I know you know kind of how the how they're moving just from a baseline perspective. Once we transition into exercise, I have an article both on the Strong First site and on the FMS site about something I call the lock and rock. So it's a uh, just something that I, I've done for many years. Um, kind of start with your feet pretty straight ahead, lock your glutes in, rock your weight back to your heels just a little bit and let your feet spin. So you lock the glutes in and then let the feet spin, uh, being on the slide board with the booties on or socks on a hardwood floor, um, is also a good way to do this because the idea is not to pick your feet up. The idea is to just unweight the front of your foot enough so that your feet will spin concept for me is using your hips to set your feet, not using your feet to punish your hips. Because as if you run out of room at your hip, you will move from your back. And so I want to create a stance that optimizes the hip range of motion. Um, and this is hard fought personal knowledge because I have a 62 degree alpha angle on a uh, cam style FAI on my right hip, pretty similar on the left anterior labrum's completely torn and uh, anterior superior labrum's torn with two paralabral cysts, three millimeter and five millimeter in size, if anybody's curious. Um, and so I, and I chewed my hip up um, trying to do stuff with my feet straight ahead because people were saying that's what you needed to be able to do. Yeah. And I was, I went on this mission to, I was actually, I was moving really well, but had no hip internal rotation, just a few degrees on each side. Now I know that's a I have a structural reason for that lack of range of motion, uh, but I'm persistent and a little thick-headed, and so I uh, I pursued changing that and trying to exercise in a position that I should not have been exercising in. So I'm actually fairly passionate about letting people find a stance uh, that uh, that works for them. Yeah, because like I always tell people like the analogy of like if you're squatting or deadlifting in a way that doesn't feel right or it kind of hurts like you're hitting like a square pig in a round hole over and over and over again and eventually something's going to give so let's find something that works for you but i'm kind of curious as well as like if you had someone with limited like ankle dorsiflexion on both sides what's kind of like your go-to approach to help an individual like that so in in checking the ankle for range of motion as long as there's no pain or impingement in the front of the joint stretch in the back or just they, they hit that kind of brick walls and they're not going anywhere. Um, we have some, some tools within FMS uh, to help mobilize uh, the ankles, whether it's the half-kneeling dorsiflexion with the dowel or half-kneeling pulses into the uh, ankle and hip. Uh, there's an article on that on, on, on uh, the Strong First site, um, and you, you can find those on the FMS uh, site as well. Um, if the easy stuff doesn't work, I refer to somebody that can do a little bit of manual therapy. Um, a little bit of manual therapy uh, can get you six months of progress in three visits versus trying to bang away at it uh, on your own. Um, I have one client who um, they tried for a year to improve their ankle mobility. And uh, I started working with them. I'm like, hey, here's a crazy idea. Why don't you go get that checked? Because you've been trying for a year. And... It's not just that I'm overconfident, but when the easy stuff doesn't work, I start wondering why. 
And so uh, the x-ray certainly revealed there was a structural reason for this lack of, of ankle range of motion. And so we maintain what this person has. They squat with their heels elevated, and we uh, adjust to the, to the situation. Um, so I, I'm always um, I'm a fan of the information. I want to, I want to, um, I'll try my stuff. Um, my stuff doesn't work. I want, uh, I want to know why. Yeah. It, it's interesting, like working with clients where they have limitations, they like automatically ask you like, Oh, why do you think it is? Why do you think my hip does this thing? And you're like, well, you know, if you went to a therapist, they could probably tell you right away, but you're like, I'll give you a guess, but I don't, I'm most likely wrong. And it's like, at my at this point, like I think I can kind of figure it out. But then when I send them to the chiropractor I work with, they like completely find this whole other like issue, and I'm like, damn, like I know nothing. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's that's why uh, being willing to say I don't know and to refer is a, is a, a tremendous skill uh, for a trainer. Um, it's um, I, I think the there's a there's a good bit of. Uh, a friend of mine used to say an inch of knowledge makes you a foot dangerous. And uh, I think the fitness industry falls into that trap sometimes, especially in re- in regards to um, working with certain situations. Yeah. It, it's like if you refer out, you, like that person's going to feel like a lot more taken care of. Like now they have a whole team around them compared to like just you being the solo act, like, why not work in a team and like you can learn from another therapist if they are more exercise based like you just got to find someone in your area and who knows what that's going to lead to well the key there is to build your team i I think a lot of people will avoid the referral because they've had the experience of sending uh somebody to get the shoulder checked knee checked whatever whatever joint or whatever um and they come back with a note that says no no exercise for six months or you know something of that nature and i'm not a fan of counter countermanding um the doctor's advice that's uh actually gets you in big trouble uh for doing that um but so the blind referral uh, can be a problem because now they don't know you, you don't know them. There's no communication system in place, and they're going to make a recommendation based on their worst fears, because they're going to go in and say, "Oh, I was working out with my trainer, and my sh- I hurt my shoulder." Well, the doctor's first one of the classic medical advices, right? Don't do that. <laughs> it hurts when I do that. Well, don't do that. So the advice is going to be, "Well, don't do that for uh, six months," and most things do get better with rest. Um, so. Uh, when you avoid the blind referral, when you have your team in place, um, you're no longer afraid to, to get things checked. Yeah. Um, going back to kind of those main lifts, I'm kind of curious on your end, like when you see amateur lifters doing the deadlift, what are the like most common mistakes you see them doing where it's kind of preventing them getting to that next level of strength? So I would say um, primary, and this will sound perhaps strange, um, they treat it like a pull. And you can you can hear this when they deadlift. You'll hear the tink as the uh, they, they don't take the slack out of the bar and push through the ground and wedge and try to shove themselves through the floor. And, and that's what brings the bar up. They go ahead and try to pull on the bar. And uh, that's usually, um, you might see the occasional max attempt on YouTube or the, the interwebs uh, where somebody gets away with that. But uh, it's just not, uh, not, not an ideal way to pull. So understanding how to create tension, how to wedge, how to use the lats to make the body one unit uh, so that as you push through the ground, um, you're, you're way more efficient at, uh, at, at picking up that weight. So for the listeners who don't know what wedging is, like, can you describe what it is and like, how do you coach a brand new person to wedge themselves? Whew. Um, Loaded question. Yeah. If I get this done over audio, it's going to be impressive. Um, so the wedge is how you, um, if, if you've ever literally wedged something in between two other things, that is basically exactly what you're trying to do with you between you and the bar and, and the ground. You're trying to wedge yourself in between those objects. 
Um, so how does that um, look or feel from a, a performance standpoint? My cat has entered the room, so you all get to, you all get to listen to my cat as he awesome. cries for some unknown reason. Hush it, buddy. Um, so um, in the deadlift, for example, um, I set my tension at the top. I know it's popular to kind of lean over, grab the bar, and then try to find your bottom position. I pull myself into the bottom position from the top, uh, set my breath, set my tension at the top. I pull myself down to the bar. I grab the bar, and then my job is to literally try to wedge myself in between the ground and the bar and push my hips back underneath of me. Uh, from a military press standpoint, it's being able to wedge myself underneath the weight without changing shape. So the, the more geeky explanation uh, is I think of the using my breath and using my tension as uh, a, a hydraulic system. Uh, you cannot compress a fluid. So when you put fluid under pressure, you can lift very big things. That's how most things get, uh, get lifted. Um, so I'm trying to create this, this kind of hydraulic pressure within my body and compress that, and that's how uh, you wedge or pick up the weight. Uh, that was a pretty good explanation. It's just like this, this is the stuff that people don't think about. They just like hop to the gym. They see the barbell. They're like, oh, I'm just going to lift this thing. But you just see things fall apart. And like even creating enough tension in your body, like teaching someone how to use it, like diaphragmic breath is like, most people don't even know how to do that. You're like, I test breathing when I do an assessment. A lot of people are just like, <gasps> I'm like, what the hell is that? That's not a breath, right? But yeah, like, definitely. What what are you? How how do you like coach a diaphragmic breath to kind of create more tension and kind of create that safety belt around the spine? So uh, I start. Um, Pretty similar to, to uh, it sounds like what, what you're doing. I Usually just during the process of the initial meeting and, and paperwork and beginning the screen, I'll just be like, hey, take a deep breath for me. And, you know, they'll, they'll take a deep breath and shoulders go up. I'm like, okay, so that's something we don't want to work on. And I go to crocodile breathing. So face down, forehead on the hands, yeah. and you're doing your, your breathing, um, nasal diaphragmatic breathing. A lot of proprioceptive feedback in that position. So as you breathe, you definitively feel, you know, your belly hits the ground and your low back rises and falls. And, and you it's just a very proprioceptively rich position that is sometimes automatically correcting to the breath just because there's all this, this information. Uh, when that position isn't possible, then I just flip them over to hook lying, um, knees bent, feet on the ground. The legs look like a hook. Um, and then hand high, hand low and you want to feel the air go to the low hand, not the high hand. Uh, initially, a good breath starts low, finishes high, uh, because the lungs are, are huge organs that, that fill up most of the, of the thorax. Um, so beyond that, as we transition into more performance-based, um, it's actually learning how to kind of engage pelvic floor. So there's this little bit of... Uh, hey, you're in line for the bathroom and you kind of got to go, so do that. And then make the abs flat, not drawn in, just tight, like somebody who's going to walk up to you and slap you in the stomach. You'd kind of tighten up because of that. Uh, and now sniff air into that uh, bubble, and you'll feel that pressure uh, develop. And that's, that's, uh, that's how we start introducing uh, intra-abdominal pressure um, and then take that up a notch with power breathing. Awesome. Um, moving on, I'm kind of curious, like, what's, uh, what's a day in the life of Brett Jones? Like, what do you do now on a training standpoint for, like, clients? Are you just writing stuff for Strong First and presenting around the world? Like, what does a typical work day look like for you? Oh, I wake up around noon. I uh, eat bonbons and drink champagne and then... Uh, nice. <laughs> um, no, I'm, I'm usually on the computer by seven, uh, in the morning. Um, just depends on the day, but usually up, I have a little French press. I make some coffee. I'm on the computer by seven. Um, it's emails, calls, 
uh, work really seven to two or three, four o'clock. Um, just depends on, on the day. Um, usually there's a small window in there where I get my own training in and, um, and then I shut it down. Uh, what I've learned about myself over the last few years in particular, um, I get around three o'clock or so and, uh, I'm, I'm done. My, my brain is full and, and, uh, the, my one remaining neuron is fired as many times as it can fire that day. And I, uh, I have to, to shut it down and, uh, then I enjoy a meal. I usually intermittent fast, um, just something I've done for, for years. And, uh, it's almost more out of laziness than it is any sort of nutritional philosophy. Um, I, I, I'm two hours more productive in my day. I don't have to stop and set aside an hour to eat lunch. I don't set aside time to make breakfast. I work. And so by the time I'm, I'm done at you know, three, four o'clock, whatever it happens to be, um, I, I, there weren't two hours of eating in there. There was just work and a, a training session. And um, it's primarily, like I said, it's a lot of calls. Um, and work um, some clients. I have very few clients at the moment just because I'm busy enough with uh, working with FMS and Strong First and everything else that's going on. So, um, um, but uh, yeah, that's pretty much it in a nutshell. So now in your point of your career, when like you get invited to speak at a conference, like do you kind of recycle old like presentations or do you kind of like, oh, I want to talk about this new thing and like, research a bunch of shit so then I can show some new stuff to the world? Like, how do you choose a topic to kind of talk about? Um, well, I start by asking the event organizer, the person that's inviting me, what do you want to hear about? Like, it's, it's um, they, they know their audience, they know wh- who they're trying to target, and how can I best put something together that will help them uh, put butts in the seats? So that's, that's usually my first question. Um, the response most of the time is whatever you want to present on. Um, okay. So, uh, I would choose eighties movie quotes and, uh, the, the deep dive on the Marvel cinematic universe would be my, uh, ideal presentation. But, um, you know, from that point, um, we have a saying within Strong First, the elite are just better at the basics than, than anybody else. Uh, the industry itself has an extremely high turnover rate. Um, typical fitness uh, career, uh, here in the States anyway, 18 months to three years. Um, people that make it past five years, are that's not the majority uh, of people that get into the business. Um, so I could actually recycle two or three presentations for the rest of my life and still have people in the audience that haven't heard what I had to say. Um, so it'll be tension techniques. It'll be strength. It'll be kettlebells, you know, swings and get-ups, uh, things of that nature. Um, so, um, a lot, of, a lot of focus on the basics. But I like, I love that because like, that's basically what I spew out to every client and new trainer I talk, talk to is like, get really good at the basics. So then you can challenge your body in any situation, right? Like I, my podcast has been around for two plus years now and I'm like 230 episodes in and like after every episode that I interview someone I do a solo episode and I keep finding myself talking about the same things over and over again and people keep listening to it because like the basics are what what it is that's the secret sauce get really good at the basics it is uh the the flash and uh the all sizzle no steak sort of uh uh, as Mark Verstegen called it at one point, intertraining, uh, where you're just kind of making stuff up to, <laughs> so people will think it's whatever. Um, you know, it's the basics are are the key to everything. I mean, um, pretty sure in basketball they still dribble, they still pass, <laughs> they still uh, try to block shots and try to make shots. Yeah. Um, boxing has four punches, basically. Um, out of that comes the sweet science of boxing and this, mm-hmm. this, this very intricate um, thing. So I, I think the perception that you need hundreds of exercises or uh, the, there's some secret out there, 
get good at get good at squatting, get good at deadlifting, get good at pressing and pulling, and yeah. um, rest tends to take care of itself. There you go. Um, so another good question I wanted to ask you is like, what was one thing, say, ten years ago that you truly believed in? Like, this was it. This is the best training technique, or something like that. Whereas today, you've completely changed your mind on. Uh, well, and, and this this may shock some people out there who know a little bit about me. Uh, I was a I was a hit Jedi. I was a one set to failure machine based uh, nice. hit Jedi, and that goes more than ten years ago. We're talking um, close to twenty uh, years ago, um, and um, yeah, so that uh, I was actually at a one of the first perform better learn by doing seminars in. I don't know, it was 99 or something around there, Columbus, Ohio. And Juan Carlos Santana is up on stage with Diane Vivas. And Diane is somebody I'm very honored to get to work with now um, within the FMS world. And, and she's a tremendous professional, has been been part of this industry for a long time. And she's, she's great. And um, uh, Juan Carlos, just certain point in, in his talk, he's like, look, muscles are dumb. They only do what the neurological system tells them to do. And I'm sitting there in the audience as a hit Jedi, and I believe that you know, momentary, momentary failure of the motor unit is the key to everything. That's the, the secret to the universe. And, um, and he says that, and I'm like, <sighs> but <sighs> he's right. And so I had to, I had to kind of let go. Of, of that because I um, um, just had uh, this not, not a very strong system if you can poke a hole in it with one, one statement. And um, so that, that was a, a, a good moment for me um, all those years ago. So here's another good question. Now that you present a lot, like what are the most common questions you get and what is a question you wish people would ask you at seminars and conferences? I'd say the most common question is at the end of the FMS, strong, whatever the case may be, I get the what's next question. And uh, go home and do this for the next six months to a year. Like you don't, you don't need anything else right now. Um, if you take the deep dive on strong first level one or, or FMS one and two, there's a lot of material there to go and apply and use. And um, at the end of the year, uh, young trainers in particular get very excited. There's all of these continuing education opportunities, and they run out, and they do five of them in a year. And they've heard this opinion, that opinion, conflicting opinions. Uh, they're all over the place, and they end up at the end of the year, and they don't know what to do. So home and do the thing that you just spent your hard-earned money and time learning and go do it because seeing it over the weekend is not the same. You're going to have very different questions six months from now. Whatever workshop you take, I, I don't care, but whatever initials after whatever workshop, um, you'll have way different questions and observations after six months of application than you do after the two to three days of learning uh, the, the, the nexus of the, of the material. So I'd say that's the question that, that I get most often. Um, the question I, I, I wish people would ask, um, I don't know, that varies on what I'm teaching. Um, but, but I think um, just, just going and doing and applying um, would be a, a, a really good thing uh, post whatever workshop. Yeah. Okay. Um, so maybe for the last question, because we're running out of time, because I feel like I can just chat with you like all day. Um, if people wanted to learn more about what you do, where can they find you online? What projects do you have coming out? Any other speaking gigs coming up? You can plug anything you want on my show right now. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, strongfirst.com, functionalmovement.com. Uh, those are the two best places to, to find out. Uh, I'm, I basically, I'm an article a month, uh, through the strong first site and try to try to do something, uh, need to get back on track, but try to do something fairly similar within FMS. Um, I do have my own personal website, AppliedStrength.com. I do nothing with it. Uh, it, <laughs> it sits there as a, as a placeholder on the internet 
and um, I do some online training and, and things like that. I actually do have a couple openings right now for my online program. Um, but, um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much the best, best places to find me. I'm on social media. I do it very, very poorly. Um, I'm not good at it at all. Um, it, it, it annoys me to a, to a significant degree on a daily basis, but, um, it, it is a tremendous tool. Um, and I, I am trying to get better at learning that tool. Um, so projects that are coming up, um, we have a lot coming down the pipe through Strong First this year. Um, most of it I am not at liberty to disclose, but I would keep your eye on the uh, Strong First website and newsletter and uh, look out for things that are coming down the pipe. Um, it'll be a big year for FMS as well. We've got some stuff coming up later in the year that I think will be uh, exciting to folks. And, um, yeah, that's uh, about as about as much as I can say without getting fired. Awesome. So thank you so much for your time. This was amazing. Rafael, thank you very much. It was great to talk to you and uh, um, have the chance to, to speak to your audience and uh, have, a, have a great day up there in Canada. Boom. That's going to wrap up episode 230 with Brett Jones. That was freaking awesome. I love that guy. But bigger news. My ebook, The Ironclad Body Training System, drops this Saturday. If your name is not on this pre-sale list, you are going to miss out. Hit the show notes, click the link, add your name and email, and you will get an email on Friday, as in tomorrow, so you can get the book before everyone else. And you know what's really stressing me out? My buy now link on my website for this thing still doesn't work, and I've been going back and forth with my web designer to figure this shit out. But it's going to be okay. It's going to happen. It's going to come together. But you know what? That's how I roll. Last minute shit coming up, whatever. I got to go to the clinic right now and treat some patients, train some clients. And I'm just going to keep going back and forth through email with my web designer so that by tomorrow night, everything should be uh, ready. Fuck. Don't worry, guys. It's going to be awesome. I'm so excited to release this thing. It's been literally eight or nine months in the making. God, it's going to be awesome. Hit the show notes. Click the link. Add your name. You will be on that pre-sale list, and you will become an ironclad body. That's it for me. Until next week, you guys.